Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. What does happen when the negotiations within the AMNOC process fail? This is a cool question, not only from a strategic perspective from the industry side, but quite clearly also, obviously from strategic but even more operational side from the payers' perspective. Why could that happen? Quite clearly, I mean, as we have already heard in different episodes of that podcast, is that within the AMNOC price negotiations, it's not only that the price is being negotiated, but also a couple of other terms within a contract. So that might be potentially the length of the contract, um, the practice exemptions, the praxis besonderheit, for example, but also a couple of other things which might then be ending up in the potential arbitration board. Keep in mind that the second part of the AMNOC process is being dedicated to the pure negotiation. Normally seeing being said the price negotiation, ultimately the price is the core component of that negotiation. The price negotiations are being organized in the way as it was agreed in the frame of the negotiations, the Rahmenvereinbarung in German, and this is then also handling, for example, the kind of core um, uh, items which need to be discussed. One of it is quite clearly, for example, the European prices which need to be taken into account within the negotiations for the product under uh, consideration. Additionally, quite clearly, the head association of the statutory health insurance funds are inviting the industry. Inviting is probably a good word. It's rather said that they schedule the four rounds ready within the calendar. Every and each of those rounds is being held for four hours. And this is the kind of rule which is then being, let's say, applied for those six months. Within those six months, both parties need to agree on a contract. So meaning on the price and everything around that. I can only um, maybe refer the listeners to the episode with Bibiana Schulte-Bosse, with a lawyer who was then as well explaining the other components of the contract, which is not part of the episode today. So what is that happening if maybe one or the other party is not agreeing to core components, items of the contract? Both parties can call up the so-called arbitration board, which is then um, happening and dealing with that case for another three months. So after the 12 months period, this is quite clean, quite important because then also the free pricing is no more applicable. Keep that as well in mind. We are now at the end of 2021 and we know that the new government, which might be in place in the next couple of days, might also change those rules for the free pricing. But independent of that, the 12 months period for the AMDOC process, then plus the three months for the arbitration board will still hold true. So what is then, what is being negotiated within the arbitration board? We have analyzed as well the different, a bit above 50 arbitration board decisions, close to 60 in the meantime, actually, 
um, from the beginning of the AMLOG until uh, 2021, so roughly for 10 years. Um, and the different kind of themes were quite clearly, a lot of times it was actually quite clearly the price, but it's also important to mention that a lot of times, and that makes also sense from a strategic perspective, it's not only one item which is then being brought to the arbitration board. The practice exemption, I've already mentioned a couple of minutes ago, was also a lot of times part of that negotiation case. And it's also the kind of question when um, the new um, price after the negotiations is effective, needs to be effective, that's quite interesting as well. Then it was around the volumes, it was around the contract um, termination, the contract length, um, and also around the so-called Herstellerabschläge, which is then the proportion which the industry needs to be basically paying back into the system. So how does that really look like, right? I mean, if we analyze all of those close to 60 arbitration board decision, I mean, one could say from an outside perspective, mm, it's probably quite clear that, let's say, the payer side might win, in quotes, please, um, most of the cases. But this is actually not true. I mean, it really depends which kind of case we have. I mean, there are a lot of different kind of decisions in there where I think... Um, Sometimes, let's say, the industry got the case because they have just had the, let's say, the kind of better argument in front of them. Um, but also, uh, we have has seen the opposite, that, for example, the payer side has basically won um, the kind of case for the different kind of items. Also important, I mean, we have analyzed here as well the the um, different individual items and have just seen where on those aspects the different parties have gained maybe the benefit or not uh, but it's also keeping in mind that quite clearly the arbitration board is not deciding on every individual item per se but they're obviously deciding on the overall case for the truck so this is also something important to keep in mind i think um let's just see very important how that arbitration board is really working. I mean, core question still remains, and this this is and was also part of a lot of scientific analysis so far, whether there is maybe an algorithm how the arbitration board is coming up with especially the price, which then needs to be suggested by the arbitration board. Let's now see and listen what the head of the arbitration board, the health economist, Professor Jürgen Wasem, who he had for quite a long time, has to say about the process, potentially even the drivers within the arbitration board, and also what he has basically to say about the, let's say, the most exciting cases he was then deciding with the board within that kind of AMNOC process. And let's just see how this might as well evolve in the future. Good morning, Professor Wasem. Thank you very much for what your you participation and also for your time obviously to dig a bit into a kind of um, i don't want to say niche but a very specific kind of area within the amnoc process which is the arbitration board um you as a former head of the arbitration board i think could you briefly explain the way how the arbitration board really works maybe start ideally with the case filing and potentially end then with a decision and or agreement yeah, thank you for this question. Um, actually, the arbitration board in a specific case starts with either the manufacturer 
or the National Association of Payers, the GKVSV, uh, declaring that the negotiations have failed. You know, they um, start after the GBA assessments, they start negotiations, and um, they have about half a year for doing this. And if after four rounds of uh, negotiations, they still haven't agreed, then one of them declares that the negotiations have um, failed. Um, and then both sides by the arbitration board are requested to submit their detailed application. In this application, um, they explain why they think a specific price and other stuff is adequate, and they attach all the relevant material uh, to support the application. Um, usually they have two or three weeks um, to do this. Uh, however, this can be prolonged. And sometimes uh, one of the two sides argue we need a little bit longer than uh, they uh, can uh, take some more uh, days. Um, and then usually eight about, uh, about six to eight weeks um, later, there is then the uh, meeting of the arbitration uh, board. Um, under COVID, there is um, some delay um, in some of the proceedings. And also under COVID, the meeting at the moment is just an online meeting, whereas usually it's a physical meeting most of the time uh, in Berlin. Uh, participants in the meeting are on the one hand, um, the seven members of the arbitration board, which means uh, two representatives of the manufacturer, two representatives of JKVSV, the pairs, uh, and then three unpartial neutral uh, members, among them uh, the chairport, a uh, chairperson. Uh, in addition um, to the seven members of the uh, nucleus of the arbitration board, uh, there are at the beginning. Uh, several experts of both sides, for instance, legal experts, medical experts, pricing uh, people. Um, also, there are um, one or two representatives of patients and a representative from the uh, Mid Mid Federal Ministry of Health. He may join, and most of the time there is one representative of the ministry who usually only listens to the uh, talks. The meeting actually is uh, ideally split in five parts. It's not always the same, but that's the general structure. In part one, both sides uh, give PowerPoint presentations with their uh, key points of their applications. So they present the applications. In part two, these applications are discussed, uh, with pr which primarily means that the unpartial members of the board um, raise questions uh, to both sides. Um, in, uh, and we take sufficient time uh, so that all uh, things which are worth to be discussed are uh, discussed there. In part three, then the unpartial uh, members discuss among themselves internally. So they go into a room for themselves and uh, try to figure out where they are after they have heard um, the uh, applications and the discussions. And um, then uh, they also uh, have uh, discussions uh, with both sides separately. These are kind of informal talks where they try to find out um, uh, where a solution may be, and then they uh, develop a uh, decision. Uh, in part four, then, the uh, seven members of the arbitration board uh, come together uh, without the other people and discuss uh, until they've come to a decision. 
And then in uh, part five, this decision is communicated to all the other uh, participants. There is, of course, some variation, um, uh, especially between uh, these informal talks and uh, the meeting of the board. Again, this is varying, but that's a general uh, structure. Okay, very interesting. I think it shows already as well, I mean, how the whole say process also works within the arbitration board slash decision making. I mean, a lot of people also when I speak um, to different market access responsibles, think that the arbitration board is only focusing on the price and the pricing of drugs. This is obviously not true. Could you give an overview which other topics are also being discussed? Well, with regard to specific drugs, I think it's fair to say that the price usually is in the focus. Um, but often there are other issues um, also um, discussed. Um, for instance, um, the uh, duration of the contract. The law says the contract duration is a minimum 12 months, but it can be longer. And that's often a point of discussion. Usually the manufacturer wants a relatively long duration and the payers want it the other way around, but uh, that can differ. Then uh, one thing is, uh, one other thing is the volume of sales of the drug. Usually there is a regulation in the contract that when a certain volume has been um, passed, a certain threshold has been passed, that uh, either the contract can be terminated or that there will be a, a, a reduction of price or whatever. And it's also uh, in the, uh, often controversial. Um, also, there is uh, sometimes no agreement on the duties of both sides. Um, like for instance, um, who will inform whom about the decision, what issues are to be kept confidential and stuff like that. Uh, to my knowledge, in the more than 50 cases in, the front, in front of the arbitration board, there were only two cases up to now in which the price was agreed upon by both sides and they only went to the arbitration board for other reasons. There were just two of them. So in all the other cases, the price uh, actually was uh, controversial. Um, what I discussed up to now were decisions of specific drugs on specific drugs, and that's, of course, in the focus of the arbitration board. I should also mention, however, that the board does not only decide on cases for specific drugs, but also um, on uh, those parts of the framework agreement between the associations of the industry and uh, the National Association of Payers, which remained controversial. You know, um, the law says that both sides, the uh, National Association of Payers, Payers and the National Associations of the Industry have to come to a framework agreement, which is um, framing the price negotiations. And uh, those parts of this uh, framework, which uh, the both sides uh, cannot agree upon, uh, are also decided by uh, the arbitration board, more specific by the three neutral members of the arbitration board. And this was um, the case several times in the earlier years of AMNOC, uh, when all sides were adjusting to the new uh, situation. Since 2016, however, um, there has been uh, no change uh, discussed any longer to the framework agreement. Therefore, uh, in the last five years, that has not been an issue uh, in the arbitration board at all. I think that was also a very good, I think, side note, I think, with the kind of frame of the whole kind of negotiation um, well done. I mean, 
you have also said that I think obviously the pricing is one of the main drivers also to maybe call up the arbitration board. Um, I mean, when following also the scientific kind of literature, but also discussions, there are always trials to estimate which kind of formula equation the arbitration board maybe uses as well for the price suggestions. Um, nobody really found a significant driver. Um, I mean, as you have the knowledge from inside, what would you say are the drivers for the arbitration board, especially maybe now focusing on the pricing? Um, well, uh, the law and the framework agreement identify uh, as relevant drivers uh, the result of the benefit evaluation by GBA, um, the price of comparable drugs uh, in this indication, uh, the net price of the drug in other European countries, that are the three things uh, primarily mentioned. And also the law mentions uh, the budget impact and allows for um, price volume agreements. Um, but um, actually there is, there is really nothing like an algorithm. Therefore, um, those who try to find a formulary uh, actually must uh, fail. It is really like the AMNOC law says, uh, I, I, I want to quote the law, uh, it says, the arbitration board decides under free appraisal of all circumstances of the individual case. It considers the peculiarities of the specific therapeutic area. And actually that's, that's really true. Um, you cannot predict um, because there are so many peculiarities and uh, specificity, specificities that I, I really think it's uh, almost impossible uh, to predict. I mean, that's also true, I think, for uh, the price which, with which the manufacturer starts when he launches in Germany. I mean, if you look, for instance, for orphan drugs, um, you see that um, drugs um, start with totally different prices, um, With uh, although you may think the number of patients is similar um, the therapeutic area is not so totally different. The medical need is comparable. And still one of them may start with annual costs of uh, 50,000, the other one with 250,000, and the third one maybe even with half a million. Uh, and uh, um, therefore, this already makes clear that there are so uh, many um, specificities that it's really hard to, to come to any general conclusion. Sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think you explained exactly, I think, why this is really difficult. I mean, it also shows by maybe also the pricing general um, might be maybe also seen a bit of an art, right? <laughs> Just to see where might be the right price. I mean, that's always the big kind of uh, question, obviously, from all of the sides involved. I mean, you, you mentioned anyhow, I mean, quite clearly out of the law as well, um, what the main drivers are. And I mean, some of what you mentioned is also obviously the added benefit and also the, let's say, pricing baskets out of the countries, which have also been mentioned in the law. I mean, when I think now about an orphan drug, where we obviously don't have um, a, a comparator, or in most of the cases, no comparator as well available, we basically only fall back to the added benefit granted by the GBA and then the prices from other countries, which should be taken into account. Do you agree from an arbitration board perspective and what if there are no prices available in the countries of interest? Well, that is actually sometimes the case that there are almost no uh, prices available, which is a result of the fact that uh, many manufacturers still launch very early 
uh, in uh, Germany. And even if prices are available, that's always a question, uh, what prices are there? Uh, what prices are these? I mean, uh, for in uh, in my view, um, in some countries, there the the um, manufacturer launches with uh, prices uh, which are only for the self-payer market, and the, they are totally irrelevant for the prices uh, which finally the uh, national health system may pay. And uh, these prices are only of limited uh, value because uh, we want to set a price uh, which is paid by our social health insurance system in Germany. And it's true, in fact, if there is if these prices are not available, you are left with the size of the additional benefit. One thing which uh, usually is um, relevant in the uh, in view of the uh, arbitration board is what is our feeling? How strong really? patients profit from uh, from this uh, drug i mentioned already that among the patient rep, uh, among the members in in this board meeting are the the patient representatives uh, i always ask them to explain what patients uh, feel and think about uh, this drug although this is then of course no strong evidence it gives us a feeling um, how valuable this drug might uh, be another item is the price level in the indication this may play, play even a if there is no drug with exactly the same label. I mean, there are some orphans which really are the first in the indication at all, then this doesn't exist. But sometimes we do have, um, and that's not so seldom, we do have uh, orphan drugs. Uh, however, in this indication field, there is already some treatment available. And that's also uh, uh, some type of uh, benchmark which one uh, may use. But it really comes down again to there is no clear rule how to merge these uh, pieces of information together. And uh, therefore, this makes it in a certain way unpredictable. Exactly. I think it shows already as well the difficulty I think also the arbitration board has, right? I mean, not only those cases, but clearly, I think, especially in those orphan drug areas. Um, yes, you- I agree with you. I think uh, before I be- become became the chairperson of the arbitration board, I gave public interviews where I said, I think we need a a, a general discussion in society Mm -hmm. on the willingness to pay for Mm -hmm. added benefit. And in a certain way, I think this is really uh, true. I mean, uh, these these three unpartial persons, uh, they have some legitimacy because they were appointed by by both sides, by the payers and by the industry. But still, I mean, it's a very weak democratic legitimation. Mm -hmm. And... um, especially if there is a threat that a drug uh, may be withdrawn from the German market, I sometimes would have wished I would be more uh, more safe on what I is, was doing really is backed by by some um, support of the society that, that we really define the willingness to pay in an adequate way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, which leads us a bit into the direction, right? I mean... Um, where also the UK is already probably a long time, right? I mean, they yeah. basically have the willingness to pay per quality, but at the end of the day, it would also lead maybe into the willingness to pay for an additional life here. Just out of feeling, I mean, I always thought that this might be maybe difficult given our history in Germany. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, we had a regulation that we should have a cost-effectiveness mm-hmm. uh, study. Uh, this was... Um, put into place in a law uh, which came into effect in 2008. 
And uh, then we had a long methodological discussion on how we should do it. ICWIC uh, developed its approach of a uh, cost efficiency frontier. Mm -hmm. And basically then in 2010, this was abolished again. And there were several reasons. Um, and one of them was that there was a feeling if we do really cost effectiveness uh, and would have a... Uh, uh, a harsh threshold that would mean that we do would do some certain rationing because then drugs which were uh, over the threshold uh, would have not been in the bundle of social health insurance. And there was a feeling really um, that in our uh, in our history, especially because of the um, of the Nazi regime, uh, we actually cannot um dare to exclude drugs which may save life and uh, then this was replaced again but on the other hand of course uh, we do not have unlimited resources and we have to do some limitation of how we spend our uh, budgets in healthcare um, anyway um, I mean, if we see what's all in the pipelines of the industry and if we see that our society is aging um, during the next 25 years dramatically, therefore, uh, which will need to more expenditures uh, anyway, I think we need some, um, some guidance uh, how, to, um, how to, to use, how to distribute our budgets among the various uh, possibilities in, in healthcare. And I really think we cannot avoid to have some more uh, parliamentary guidance um, and not, not that we not can leave everything uh, just in, in technical committees and arbitration boards and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably also a good kind of maybe direction for the future. Fully agree with that. Um, maybe just going back again with your um, experience within the arbitration board. When you think back about your uh, different cases you have experience with, what was your most exciting case in the arbitration board and why? Uh, that's a good question. In my four years, I found the Iblygutit case most interesting and exciting. Iblygutit is a um, diabetes drug um, because in this case, we dared several interesting things um, as arbitration board. Among others, we decided that the manufacturer shall market the drug only in the subpopulation with added benefit. There were five subpopulations and um only in one, the manufacturer had an added benefit granted by GBA, and we decided, um, with support of the manufacturer, by the way, um, that uh, the manufacturer shall market the drug only in this subpopulation. And based on this, we then um, based our calculation of the price uh, on the assumption that 80% of the prescriptions um, were in this uh, subgroup with added benefit. And this decision actually went to the Federal Social Court, um, which made clear that the arbitration board is entitled to do this kind of decisions. They also said that, um, which is very important, that uh, the, the arbitration board has to do a prognosis on how many patients are in which patient group. Um, which gives considerable um, freedom uh, to the arbitration uh, board. That shows really, I think, why and where I think there might also be some, let's say, excitement, excitement as well within different cases. I think that's uh, that's quite great. I mean, given your experience and also your discussion, I think you have also with the different stakeholders within the process. If you could advise health politicians, would you change the process around the arbitration board? 
And if yes, what would you change within that process? Well, um, given the legal concept of AMNOC, I think the process around the arbitration board is fine. Um, I do have several issues with the AMNOC in general, um, but uh, they are not related really to the arbitration board. Therefore, given the general structure, I think the arbitration board is uh, a good way to do things. Uh, you know that it's not unique in Germany. We have, I don't know, probably 20 arbitration boards in various areas. Uh, and uh, um, they all all work more or less around uh, the same uh, mechanism. So, so their, their technical procedures are relatively similar. And I think this is established and um, it works quite well. My comments would be on the AMNOG in general, but not related specifically to the arbitration board. Okay, do, do you want to share some of your thoughts on the AMNOG as well? Well, basic, of course, we uh, can, could have a long discussion on yeah. this because <laughs> at the moment we have 10 years of AMNOC uh, because mm -hmm. it uh, came into place in 2011. And therefore, I just did several publications and also talks on 10 years of AMNOC. Therefore, that's a point one could endlessly talk about, but only to give you three short uh, comments. The first thing is um, I still, after 10 years, have my problems with uh, the National Association of Payers, the JKVSV, uh, um, being in GBA and doing afterwards a pricing negotiation. I mean, we clearly have a governance problem. In GBA, they have 50% of the votes and they try to, uh, to uh, influence the uh, GBA decision to get a, a, a bad evaluation of the drug so that later on in pricing negotiations, they can base uh, their position on this decision by GBA. I think this is really a structural problem and I still think I would change it. I don't see a political majority to do this at the moment, But for instance, with the digital health apps, which came into health insurance um, uh, half a year ago, there the, mem the parliament decided that a um, federal, um, the, the federal drug office uh, will do the, um, the evaluation of the digital health apps and not GBA, although it's a similar situation. Therefore, um, I think that's, that's one of the problems which I really have. The second problem, um, I still have is that um, we do on the national level a blended price, a mixed price very often. For instance, if, if in one indication there is an added benefit and the other indication there is no added benefit, then we do a blended price. And of course, this blended price um, is taking into account that uh, we have these two separate situations. One situation where there is added benefit and others where there is no. Therefore, this blended price, of course, is uh, more expensive than the comparator in the indication where there is no added benefit because that's a result of the fact that it's a blended price. And then on the regional level, the payers and the physicians uh, talk to the physicians, you should not Uh, pr uh, prescribe the drug in the indication where there is no added benefit because there are cheaper alternatives available. I really think that's a contradiction in itself. When we do this blended price, um, this drug uh, almost by definition, um, it's, it's economic to prescribe this drug because uh, it's in, in the indication with added benefit. Of course, on the other way, uh, on the other side, it's cheaper than it would have been if we would have done a 
price taking only into account the indication with added benefits. Therefore, I really think there is some inconsistency which hadn't been solved uh, during this um, 10 uh, years. My third point is a relatively new one. Uh, we talked all right, uh, already uh, in an earlier question by you on uh, cost-effectiveness uh, studies. Um, in a certain way, we got used to the fact that we have only a benefit evaluation and then we do bargaining in the pricing negotiations. But with the um, gene therapies and CAR-T therapies, uh, actually, I think we have the issue on the agenda uh, how do we actually treat uh, drugs which have a one-time intervention and then they promise uh, to work for several years, maybe even lifelong? I mean, this um, is difficult to deal with in the existing framework because of the fact that we have um, often the alternative is a continuous treatment every year. And, and, and uh, you, if you look at, for instance, in, in SMA, where you have nuzinazine, which you give every year, and then you have Sorgonsma, where you have a one-time treatment. I think um, this type of considerations is difficult to deal with, with in a just a benefit evaluation and then uh, pricing negotiations. I mean, you need a longer time horizon. And I think cost-effectiveness analysis uh, gives an, an analytic framework with which you can uh, deal with the this type of issues. And therefore, it's um, there are several people, also among payers, but also in the industry, who say that we may reconsider whether, at least for certain situations, we do not only do a benefit evaluation, but maybe a cost-effectiveness analysis in the future. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much. I think also for those insights into your the potential next steps into the AMNOC reform. Thank you, Professor Vazam. That was a very good insights um, from the arbitration board, but I think also generally from, from the AMNOC process. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Interesting insights now from Professor Jürgen Vazam, the former head of the arbitration board in Germany. I think the most important probably for all of the listeners who thought maybe to understand the algorithm behind the price finding of the arbitration board is that there is no algorithm, at least not within those roughly 60 cases. But I can as well ensure you there are not a lot, but a few analysis, including different regression analysis, etc., which also tried to find a potential algorithm on it. And there's simply no algorithm behind it. At least it doesn't look like, meaning that the different items are not statistically significant. I would rather even say that there's not even a big driver. A lot of times, for sure, it's very difficult. Professor Vasen was as well alluding on that, especially if you, for example, have an orphan drug, which you negotiate where you potentially, even on top of that, do not have the... Um, the European prices already available, meaning that it's very difficult to really quantify the added benefit, which might even then be on top of that, non-quantifiable by the GBA um, for the arbitration board. So how, how does that really look like then? I mean, there are a lot of different aspects, as he said already, the severity of the disease, the potential long-term kind of impact, the benefit itself. I think it's also important then quite finally what the GBA as well said. And even more important, Professor Fahasim said that, is the submission and quite clearly the presentation again from both sides to the arbitration board as this clearly again starts 
basically from zero. Even more important, we have heard that as well within the episode with Bibiana Shudabosa was that it's it's really important from a strategic perspective from both sides, from the payers, but from also from the industry side to really keep an eye on what to include, for example, in the official minutes of the price negotiation. Keep in mind within those four negotiation rounds, at the end of each negotiation round, there are the official minutes, obviously confidential, but this is then also being part of the arbitration board discussion and decision. So keeping that in mind, it's also quite clear. I think it's not a surprise and quite obviously not, let's say, confidential information. The different price offers are normally not part of the official minutes. However, that's at least something as well to allude on that both sides need as well to explain in detail how they are coming up with their kind of estimation of the different fair price, because this is ultimately what I think both sides need to as well come up. And then the arbitration board is really looking on which sides, let's say the um, the arguments maybe hold a bit more true maybe, or at least better from their perspective. When analyzing the different um, decisions or suggestions from the arbitration board, it's also quite clear that there is no clear trend towards one or the other direction. It really depends. And I think even more important um, is that the number of cases within the arbitration board has really dropped tremendously within the last three or four years, meaning that in really the vast majority of cases, the two parties, meaning the industry and the payer side, is really agreeing on a price. And the general contract, keep in mind, it's not only about the price, but obviously and quite clearly a lot of times it is the price as a core item, but both parties then agree before the arbitration board would even start with a case. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.